0: Hey everyone, this is CLAT2 and you're listening to the GNU World Order. This is a special bonus Slackware episode for July 17, 2018, the 25th anniversary of Slackware. Yes, it is true, Slackware has been around for 25 years as of today, 2018, July 17. What does that mean? It really means nothing. It is an, armi- ar- an arbitrary measure of of achievement. I could do a special Slackware episode every year and just keep incrementing the number. But this time I figured since everyone else is getting excited about it, I might as well get excited about it. 25 years, it's a quarter of a century, another arbitrary delineation of time. So what we're gonna do is the top 25 reasons you should be using Slackware. The zeroth reason is it's simple installer. People sometimes say Slackware has a very difficult installer. It's not really true. It's, it's, it is it's true that Slackware does not have a fancy graphical installer, but that doesn't always make an install easy, especially if you're trying to do some kind of complex system where you're trying to dual boot or triple boot or whatever. So installer installation can be a complex thing no matter what front end you put on top of it. But The reverse is also true. It can also be very simple, no matter what front end you put on top of it. Now, there are some what I would call complex installers out there there are some complex systems like like 2 tends to be what, what I would call it a little bit more complex than slackware because it's not just a menu driven sort of like yes install that yes next 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 okay crux if you've ever tried to install crux that 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 can be difficult because you you uh, overlay everything onto your hard drive and then i think if i recall correctly you have to compile and move your kernel into place or or something like that so there are there are things that that take what could be argued to be advanced knowledge in order to install a system, and, and there are virtues to those models. But Slackware really isn't one of those. Slackware is a pretty dumb installer. It's pretty simple. You start up your computer, you get a command prompt, and it tells you you need to now partition your drive. So you partition your drive, and then you start the installer, and from there on, it's menu-driven all the way. Number one, teaches you about hard drive partitions. This is important, because like I just said, the installer itself is pretty dumb and pretty simple, but the one thing it does demand of you is that you partition a drive. Which on other operating systems, I f- feel is generally it, it's it's generally hidden from people. Which you might argue, well, that's a good thing, right? Computers should be magical. People shouldn't have to get a degree in computing. And and what if what if a, a user doesn't want to know about partitioning? Then they shouldn't have to know about partitioning, right? There's an argument there. But there's also the argument that you really do need to know about partitioning. That's one of those things about computers that you don't need to know about it to sit down and type a business letter, but if you're maintaining a computer that you own, then you do need to at least know that partitions exist. Because think about it, even on modern computers that that, that try their hardest to to protect their users from the very concept of partitions and and anything low-level, even modern computers... Have partitions as an integral part of what they do, I mean obviously there's a partition on the drive in the first place to have a file system but but even beyond that there's there's very frequently on a, a recovery partition. I don't know of a major OS right now that doesn't ship with a recovery partition. I think Windows, Mac, and Chromebooks all have recovery partitions. If people don't understand what that means or what that is, they're not necessarily again they're not going to they can still sit down in front of their computer and use their computer, but they are less informed and information is a really good thing, especially when it comes to the sanctity of their data, I feel. So, there are partitions. Uh, On some OSs, there are partitions that enable you to do upgrades without affecting your user data, for instance. That's an important concept to know. So it doesn't hurt to know about partitions, and the fact that Slackware tells you you need to make a partition, that's not as bad or scary as it sounds and i think it's one of those things that if you're installing an os you kind of need to know about that you just need to know that there are partitions because otherwise the only kind of install that will ever be possible is a full drive install where everything gets erased and everything is copied because otherwise you'd never you you know you you would never be able to choose one way or the other because you can't know about partitions so so that's silly so learning about partitions is a a huge boost and and i'm i'm calling this out specifically because it was a huge thing for me i i was a a power user but not the kind who ever had to do anything with partitions until i installed slackware and that's how i learned about drive partitions and drive uh, file systems and all of these these concepts that the mass market really tries to to lie to people about i mean think about it if you go into a computer store and ask for a hard drive They will ask you, do you want a drive for Windows or Mac? As if, though, there's a difference. And you and I know that there's no difference, but a lot of people don't, and you have to convince them. If they see the the $90 drive for Windows and the $120 drive for for Mac, and they want the Mac one, but they're hedging on the price, so you say, no, really, look, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but this one will work with your Mac. You just reformat it. It's not a problem. Just trust me. Just open up Disk Utility, blah, blah, blah. They won't believe you. You have to really sell them on this this concept that, that a drive is a drive. And it's sad. That's sad to me. I don't, I don't think that's right. I think that is wrong. Uh, information's good. Number two, packaged transparency. Slackware makes you understand... No, it doesn't make you understand. It helps you understand what is actually being installed on your system. So if you're doing an install, you can choose to do a menu install where you can go through each package. I've talked about this on the show before each package and opt in or opt out. Yeah, don't don't install Vim, install this instead. Or or don't install this package set. I don't need Emacs. None of it. Just don't even bother. I don't need XFCE. Leave it off. All of that stuff. You can you can do that. You can go package by package. That's during installation. And and that's a good thing to do once or twice just to kind of really get familiar with it. But even afterwards, once it's all installed You don't need to know some kind of fancy database package management command to see what's installed on your system. It's just, it's, everything is recorded. It is in slash var slash log slash packages. Text file for every, one one text file per package, and inside that text file, if you cat it or less it or whatever, you can see the, every single executable, every single library, every single piece of documentation, that is part of that package this means that you can browse this just with your usual your your standard unix commands and if you get a little bit fancier you can use things like find and grep to look for things in that in that location really really easy and and quite beautiful number 3 package selection so slackware has a huge job in front of it right it 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 has to build a dvd filled with open source software of which there in the world, there is more than one DVD of, and, and it has to pick from all that stuff what to include. I, I it kind of sometimes surprises me that they are able to to stay focused enough to have anything sensible at all. I think if I was in charge of it, I would probably just spend one afternoon grabbing random things. I would end up going down a a, a get getting on a side side track uh, about you know just the multimedia stuff or something, and I would. I would emerge the next day and look at my list and think oh darn I forgot uh, the kernel and I forgot a desktop but man do I have everything else yeah so it, I feel for some distributions like ubuntu for instance where the the mission statement was for ubuntu pretty clear in the early days it was we are going to be desktop linux we're going to be the desktop that people go to when they think I'm ready for a free and open source operating system. And so all they kind of have to do, I, I feel, I mean, not to minimize what, what their job, but I mean, I feel like at least they have a, a target and they can look at other OSs and say, okay, well, that's that's that has set forth some expectation in, in users, so we can just kind of use that as our framework Whereas Slackware doesn't really have that same mission statement. Their mission statement is to be easy to use and the most Unix-like of Linux systems. That kind of, that, 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 doesn't, really, that doesn't really have a, a, you know, in terms of package selection, that doesn't necessarily dictate a certain path. So it's really cool to me that I feel like when I install Slackware, if I do that, you know, out at a cafe or in a hotel room somewhere or something, I can install Slackware and, and have a great time computing and that's before i ever get hold of extra packages to install over the internet or 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 whatever it's just the the thing that i got on the disk is is quite functional and quite robust and very satisfying it's got a good mix i think okay uh number 4 stable packages a lot of people say just like they say oh slackware is difficult to install they also say well slackware is very stable and I just like their their the its reputation for being difficult to install. I'm not sure if its stability is really something that people understand. You know, it's, if you ask them why is it stable or why is it difficult to install or whatever, I don't feel like a lot of people would actually be able to cite what they mean. So I'm going to cite one of the things that drives me to say that Slackware is stable, and one of those things is that it uses stable packages. It's it's kind of like cooking, I guess. If you put High quality ingredients into a into a into a into a dish, then the dish itself is going to come out tasting probably better, unless you screw something up along the way. But for Slackware, they they put stable packages into their current branch. They let people, their users who run current, test those packages, report bugs back about them, and if everything's okay, then that's the package that ships with Slackware. And that's a beautiful QA process. And I I feel, frankly, that a lot of Linux distributions, I don't want to say that they don't have a QA process, but I feel like a lot of Linux distributions blur the line between QA and user feedback very, very heavily. Some of them do that openly. Fedora, I think, tends to kind of admit and openly acknowledge that if you use that distribution, you're kind of part of the ongoing beta test, I, I guess they could probably make it clearer, but that is, it's, it's one of their advertised things, is that they're first. They get all the new packages first, that's exciting, but, but with that, I mean, they don't call it the bleeding edge or the cutting edge for nothing. You can get cut by that sort of thing, whereas Slackware does not do that, They take stable packages, and that results in an overall stable environment in the end. Number five, sane update policy. This goes along with the stability feature, I think, but it's worth noting as a separate item, partly because I need to get 25 items, but but also because it is, it's separate. Just because Slackware ships with stable packages doesn't necessarily mean that it is obligation bound to stay stable i mean it could update itself out of stability just like a lot of the other distributions out there tend to do again they those distributions that do usually they they tend to delineate that you know they have a, a, a long term release where they don't update that that often they do have a more sane update policy for their stable release and then for the things that are not called long term they tend to play it a little bit faster and looser. So Slackware, really, it only has a stable branch. I mean, it has its current branch, but, but the, the one that I think people typically are praising for stability is Slackware itself, the actual Slackware release. So they don't update themselves out of stability. They keep their updates very tight, very infrequent. They do it for security, or they do it when just when sort of it's it's an obvious requirement. So uh, one of the big ones, and certainly one of the ones that I update most on my Slackware system is Firefox. And, And that's one of those things that there's probably a lot of security stuff, but there's also just that sort of annoying thing that the modern internet does. Whereas if it detects that you have a browser that isn't the latest version, then it will scold you and threaten you and tell you that their site won't work with your version of this browser and that you should go download Google Chrome instead or Internet Edge or whatever. So I I update Firefox and Thunderbird frequently, because that's what Slack Package generally offers me. But you do have to... it's a... what is it, a push or a pull or whatever, I mean, you have to ask for that update. I have to update Slack Package myself, I have to sync it to the server, and if it tells me there's an upgrade available, then I can look at what that might be and opt in or out of specific updates. Very, very useful. Very refreshing because this way I get to do all updates on my own terms and in my own time, and that's hugely important because Slackware is on my mission-critical computers. Which I mean, nowadays mission-critical really has only it only means my own mission. But in the past, it has been it's been the mission of a much larger organization, and stability has been really important for me as someone who's banking on on Slackware just working nonstop. All the time. Number six respects upstream Slackware ships vanilla packages. That means that they take the things that developers publish, they wrap it into a Slackware package, which is just a tar archive that is somehow compressed with usually xz these days. It could be bz2, it could be gz, and and that's what you get. That's that's your package. That is all. There there's no changes. There are no customizations made. There are, the the names of binaries do not suddenly change out from under what you would expect if you if you just heard about the package and went straight to the developer site and read up all all of the about their documentation. It, when you went back to your Slackware machine and installed that that thing, it would be the same as what you saw on the developer site. Now that's not always true, and I think there's an argument for it to not always be true, but I prefer personally when it is true the argument for it not to be true is the the concept of a middleman you know i mean there is there is an argument that a middleman in this whole software open source software game is pretty important you you maybe you want someone stepping in between that developer who just crunched you know just pushed out some code and that's it their their job's done in their mind so who's the middleman who's going to make that code sort of presentable and and more more usable for a user who All they know is that they're going to download and install, I don't know, Apache web server because they're building their LAMP stack. What's a LAMP stack? We're not not really sure, but it says on this website we have to build one. So I've got the Linux part. Now I need this, this A1, which is Apache. So I've installed it. Oh my gosh, my web server isn't working. Well, that's because you got it straight from upstream and there's no policy that when you install apache it automatically starts you have to start it manually well on other systems they insert a policy for you so that when you install apache it starts it doesn't tell you necessarily that it's started there's no big button for it to start it just happens in the background now some people love that that's the greatest thing ever and part of me kind of loves it, because, I mean, I can see that. I can see being a user, not knowing what a LAMP stack is, or or, or why exactly I'm installing a quote-unquote web server on my computer, but I mean, you know, then if I do an apt install Apache 2, or whatever it is on Debian, and my web server now works, it's all very magical and cool. It works. It's I, I did it. I'm a hacker now. Whereas, or I'm a developer now, whatever. But on slackware if you do that then then it won't start for you it, it just it's just there it's not running but you've installed it so now go start it. It, it it's a difference you know there there it's a difference between explicit two steps and and implicit one plus in steps that you don't ever have to do you just have to do the one so there's an argument i get it and i still prefer respecting upstream because if we all just standardize on upstream then Upstream always is the final word on all questions, right? How do I start? Why isn't my web server running? Go to Upstream. What do they tell you? They tell you, after install, you have to start it. There, simple as that. Okay, so number seven, ease of package installation. I have probably raved about this already on this show. I should probably do another episode that that really delves into it, but I'm just going to say, install PKG. It's that easy on Slackware. When you want to install a package, you you get the package. However, you get it. Now there are different ways. You might you might go to a place that provides binary packages that you trust. Uh, you might go to Slack builds and get a build script and then download the source code and make your own package with one command. Uh, or you may be put, making your own package with make pkg. Either way. The package installation itself is install pkg, or upgrade pkg if you want to upgrade a package, and and it's installed. It gets recorded into slash var slash log slash packages, and that is it. It is a a single interaction. It is one transaction, and that is all that it is. There is no wrapper around it, other than install pkg itself. There's no wrapper around it. There's no package management uh, going on here. There is no dependency resolution. None of that applies. This is the exact thing that you think that it is when someone says you want to install a package. Well, that's exactly what you do. You install PKG, and that is it. Some people say that makes it more difficult because the magic is gone, right? There's this there's this sense that the more steps you have to take, the less magical it is, and I, I, I really don't know that I agree with that. Uh, I, I think that, that having to resolve my own dependencies is actually a bonus. I think that's a really, really good thing because this way I get, one, awareness of what is going onto my system, and two, I get to decide what version of something goes onto my system. And a an easy example I've probably mentioned before, FFmpeg. For me, I don't want anyone to ever auto-install FFmpeg for me because uh, they'll never install the right... Compiled version of FFmpeg. I I compile all kinds of things into my FFmpeg that no one else ever would, and so no one no one's FFmpeg will ever do. It, it always has to be my version of FFmpeg. There are other examples, but that's the easy one that comes to my mind because it's the constant one. I think the only right way to resolve dependencies is to bundle dependencies like AppImage or Flatpak. That that that's a good d- d- dependency resolution. It's redundant. It's needless, you know, it's it's ugly because now you've got two versions maybe of FFmpeg, but I don't want my computer to ever look at my version of FFmpeg and say, eh, we don't want that one because it doesn't match somehow, so we'll we'll remove that and we'll install this one instead, or, or whatever. So dependency resolution does not make things easier for me and for a lot of other people. It, it complicates things. So when package installation is just a package installation, it simplifies the matter greatly. Number eight, package installation that encourages learning. So package installation on Slackware is simple. It is also enlightening because you realize, after a few, few times that you've done a package installation, you realize pretty quickly that all you've done is you've unarchived the parts of a sys of a bigger system that apply only to that one package. So, in for instance, let's say you're installing something simple like Trashy. That's my little shell script, big shell script that stands in for well, that that hopefully replaces rm. Like in a perfect world, it would replace rm. I say humbly, uh, it, it moves files to your trash, defined by freedesktop.org rather than deleting it from your hard drive the way that unix usually does with rm so let's it's it's a very it's one it's one shell script so that's really all i mean there's a man page there's an info page there's a couple of things but i mean basically it's a shell script so if you were to look at that package if you were to install it and get the verbose output which is the default you would see that it it places trashy and user local bin or wherever it Places it and some documentation and slash user docs or whatever or user man in the case of the man pages and that's it. That's all it does. So that package is a mirror image of your file system except without all your file system in it. And it's just the stuff that applies so it's an it's. I think of it as an overlay, although I know that there is a, a thing called an overlay FS, so it's not that. But but that's all you're doing. You're taking this this mirror image of your file system that starts at slash so starts at root and then. Sprinkles everything out onto your file system exactly where it was meant to be, and that's all a package install is. I used to think that package installation on other OSs, because of the way that they do it, I used to think it was some serious sort of big sort of computer altering experience. To say nothing of the fact that you could never really uninstall a package. Do you remember that on other OSs? Like you would, you would have to get extra, you would have to purchase from a store. Things that would un- uninstall stuff for you, you know, to to really feel like you had cleansed your computer, you would have to purchase something to to clean up your own computer. And you'd look at all these files and you'd think, where did these things come from? I thought I un- uninstalled OmniFoo. Like, why is there still a configuration file for that? There a preference file for that? Like, why does that exist? And and you'd ha- you'd do this like periodically, you know, when your computer starts to act weird. That doesn't exist on Slackware. And I, frankly, it probably doesn't exist on any Linux. But I mean, certainly on Slackware, that's just not a that's not a thing that can happen because everything gets recorded. This is exactly what we put onto your computer, and this is where we put it. And when we uninstall, they go away. Simple as that. Okay, number nine. If you can install it, you can package it. This is a huge one for me, as you've heard in in recent episodes. This is of 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 great concern to me and of great interest and i think it's super super important for linux users and and pushers to enable our users our compatriots our colleagues to to roll their own packages it's just, it has got to happen if you cannot install something on your own computer then you are powerless you feel you feel less powerful even though it's open source and we all are, we all tell you you own this code this is code that you own this is really cool you have ownership of this This is you. Nobody owns this but you. Isn't that great? It's open source? Great, great. I can't freaking install processing, or I can't install Scratch, or I can't install GIMP, or whatever. Then it doesn't matter anymore. All that open source stuff is just rhetoric. There's got to be a way for people to take exactly what they want, even if it's weird, even if it's something that nobody's ever heard of, They have got to grab that thing and package it up for themselves so that they can install it. And if that's not happening, then we have disempowered our users. And that is a crime. So, and and I can tell you for sure, as someone who who, who has a package of their own that is not in a repository, I can tell you 100% that not all open source software out there is in a Linux repository. There are some things that people have missed. I know that Debian has like, a bajillion packages, and Fedora has some some degree of less packages, but still lots. And and, and there's you know it's it's great that and, and, and Arch has lots of packages. It's it's they've got that AUR thing, and they're rabid, and they're just they're super excited about building scripts for stuff, and it's fantastic. And yet, I can guarantee you that not every open source project out there is in a Linux repository. So, I mean, of course, I mean, every open source project out there that is Linux compatible is not necessarily in a Linux repository. So it is vital for people to feel empowered that they can take a random thing that they themselves have uncovered that nobody else knows about, well, nobody but them and the developer, and and and, and make it such that that thing will go onto their computer. So in Slackware, if you can install it, If if you've gotten far enough to where you understand, okay, I can get this thing to run on my computer, then you can package it, which which is empowering because then that means that you can also uninstall it. Okay? So let's say you find a little open source package. Maybe it's called Trashy. Okay, you got it. You read the little readme and it says here, put this file there, put that file there. That's all you need to do. Oh, that, that is simple. Okay, so you write a little script to copy that file there, copy that file there. You're done. You've just packaged it. Do your make p- pkg command, and you're done. You, you don't even have to script it, to be honest. You can literally just make a local file system for yourself. You know, user local share, or user local bin, and put your trashy thing in there. Okay, user man, put your man page there. User info, put it there. Okay, or user docs, whatever. Uh, and now make pkg-ly-cn, name of the package, you're done. Time for coffee. No, I mean, literally, it's time for coffee. coffee, so we've got, like, 15 bullet points to get through, 14 bullet points to get through, so I'll try to go quicker. So, number 10, security updates for years. People don't really realize this, but Slackware security updates get pushed back to, I mean, I I think until very recently, or possibly still, version 8 of Slackware was still getting security updates. It's insane. Like, It's a really weirdly... It's got a life cycle that is a lot longer than people, I think, realize. It's very, very interesting. It doesn't... It's one of those things that doesn't get talked about a lot. But if you look at it, you'll realize that... Wait a minute. This thing still gets all the essential security patches. How is that possible? It's pretty crazy. Okay, so number 11. Small. Lightweight. It only needs like 64 megabytes of RAM. I kid you not you can make a tiny, tiny little Slackware install that is, I think, I think I talked about this in a earlier, earlier episode, but I think it was like 200, 200 megabytes of, of hard drive space and, and maybe 64 megs of RAM, something like that. I mean, really, really tiny. So it is, there's no excuse. People, I see people all over the place. Like, can I find, a, what can I use for a, a uh, small lightweight linux for this old laptop and i keep telling them slackware 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 and of course they just they it goes right over their heads cuz they're like oh you're just saying slackware no i'm not it really is it's small it's lightweight you can use this thing it's insane how small you can make slackware you can make it you can strip it down to the barest barest install of course and i mean you won't that won't be a very functional thing right i mean it'll be 200 megabytes what do you what do you got you got GNU core utils and and your kernel and some other things but but on top, you know, if if we're not talking 200 megabytes, even if you're talking about okay, well, let's let, let's get it up to a gig, you can do all kinds of t- tiny little weird X-based applications for file management, and you can have Fluxbox, which like was what three megabytes full package um, for your for your GUI and or for your desktop, whatever it's called, and you can have I don't know just whatever. There, there are XMMS for your media for your music. And so on. So there are just a, if you even need a GUI for your music, why don't you just use uh, you know M player or or og one two three or or whatever? Yeah, it's it's it can be very very small. You can make you can design a lightweight system with not no effort on Slackware. It's it's really easy to pare it down to something lightweight. Really, it is. I've I haven't done it like ridiculously, but I have, I've definitely run it on old machines, and it is, it's easy, easy to do. Not a problem. Okay, number 12. Unix-like init system. Unix-like design. People get angry about systemd all the time. I don't, I don't really care, but, but I also don't have to care, right? As I've said before, I'm, I'm using Slackware. I don't have to worry about that yet. So the init system on Slackware is just the old-fashioned script rc.init-based, in its system it's it's it is it is you know slow uh it's i mean it's not it's not super slow but it's it's not system d fast i guess i don't know i don't really notice these things uh but i mean it's certainly not it is sequential you know it it has to it goes through each script and it launches each service and that's how it works whereas system d i think can do several things at several different times and it's all very fast and very cool and very efficient. Will Slackware go to System D? We think not. I mean, no one knows because if System D gets so big that it encompasses, you know, that it basically becomes a dependency on basically everything. Then maybe Slackware will have to do that, but otherwise there are other init systems out there. I've talked about some on this show. Uh, Ninit was a, a fun one to play around with, but I think more realistically, because Ninit is not dev- maintained anymore, so more realistically you'd be looking at like OpenRC or something like that. And and yeah, it, it's there. There are other options out there and and more broadly speaking if we're not just talking about init systems which one should not just talk about because i mean while init is important it's not it's not the the whole shebang so uh if you're if you're looking at 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 slackware as a linux distribution it does have a stated goal of being the most unix like distribution and that's significant because it really does feel unix like i mean you can make any distribution feel unix like but but I think, especially when you get down to, like, package maintenance, package installing, uh, even the init system, like, where you have to, where where to deactivate and activate services, you just chmod plus X or chmod minus X, a specific service. All of that's pretty, that's pretty Unix-like, right? Interacting like that with, directly with files. And they're not being really another way. There's no, there's, you, you can't launch some kind of control system, you know, Slackware Control Center or something where you can... Select startup services and things like that. That doesn't really doesn't work like that. It's 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 Unix, and and that's refreshing for someone who wants to be using Unix. Uh, I think there's a, I I I do think that there's a natural leaning among a lot of Linux users to to want to be more less Unixy and more. You know, modern or, or whatever, and I understand that desire because you do. You get self-conscious when you're trying to explain to someone, well, "This is how we do it." You know, you want to start that server. There's not, there's no GUI with a big green button that says start and stop, a red button with stop. And and you will literally see that sort of thing. I've seen people, you know, who are young web designers who are learning how to do web stuff, and and they they've gotten to the point where they're being really brave, and and they've been told, okay, you got to start. You got to have a, st- a, a stack. You have to have a lamp stack, or you can use a MAMP stack. And a MAMP, of course, is lamp except it's built on Mac. And so they they download the MAMP thing, and is literally it is literally a. It's it's a GUI. You you fire it up. It opens this window, and it's like there's this big green button that says start Apache web server or something like that, and you press the button, and it starts the service, and that's how you do it. And, I mean, I'm laughing because it is literally funny. I mean, it is funny. Like, non-judgmentally, it is amusing. Like, that's just a funny thing. But, I mean... Less funny, but more like, I don't know if that's the best way to do it, like critical, would be that in real life, you're not going to have a big green button, right? I mean, that's just, that's not where, that's not where, it that is not the way that... A, a robust server would be designed. You know, you get a call at two a.m. Oh my gosh, the the site is down. Quick, go into the office, turn on one of the computers, start up the control, the web control panel, and press the green button to restart it. You know, <laughs> like that's not gonna happen. So it's just it's it is amusing to me because I've you know because it's just it's silly. It it's kind of like it's it's you know what it is. It's RPG sci-fi. System design, or, or Star Trek system design, you know, where where the cla- my my favorite example on Voyager, where where the the sick bay computer goes offline or something, and somehow I think it, it the rest of the computers, the rest of the system doesn't work anymore because the the holographic doctor um, has gone crazy or something. So it's like all these systems are needlessly tied together, you know, and it's just like. Why would anyone design that like that? So it's it's funny. So what I'm trying to say is that a Unix-like system is a a good system and Slackware maintains the Unix-like design. Um whether whether or not that's pretty when people are sort of looking over our shoulder or not, it just makes sense and that's that's a beautiful beautiful thing for Slackware to just to embrace Unix, which we should really all just do. Okay, 13, number 13. It's all-purpose. Slackware is all-purpose. This kind of goes into what I was saying about their package uh, selection. But I, I do feel like some distributions, and again, I, I get the reason for this. This is not a critical thing, but some distributions try to be a certain distribution. You know, they really do. They're like this is what we, this is what we're about. This is why we exist. This is who we're targeting. Some say even, like, I mean, and, and this, I guess this is slowly, is slowly maybe possibly, if I'm op- being optimistic, is changing. But, I mean, you know, there used to be, like, Ubuntu Studio, where where it was a distribution. It was like an actual distribution separate from Ubuntu that, that you could download and install, you know, or it would have stuff installed for you. And, it would you know, there was a sense for a while, you know, maybe five years ago, maybe even today, but but certainly for a while it, there was this weird sense that a distribution was an application itself you know the, the 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 flaw in this brilliant plan was that you had to erase your entire computer in order to install this one application because your application is an os i thought that was a really puzzling design and and very especially for a community that is so up in arms about things like system d you know uh, how can we do this big monolithic thing? Oh, I don't know. Well, we have these entire distributions that are designed around specific tasks. Maybe maybe someone didn't realize we were being so particular about our modularity. I wonder why. So the fact that Slackware stays modular is really important and significant to me. It's got a big smattering of packages that it ships with on the DVD, but a lot of them are not bound in any way. like Unless they are tagged as required, Pretty much everything is is take it or leave it. You can you can you can not install it if you don't want it, or you can install it if you want it. Um, and and certainly if it's if it's in separate package sets, then yeah, then just leave off whatever you need. And and I've done that before. You know, like if there's been some system where I knew that no one was going to ever use the Tex uh, back end or or Emacs or or the FAQ se- section or Xfce or KDE or whatever. Just leave off big chunks of things, and then you can build on top of it. So it becomes a very kind of uh, kind of kind of dynamic distribution that you can design more or less on your own. Number fourteen. Grub or no Grub. Slackware does not ship by default with Grub. I'm not a fan of Grub. I know that there are really good reasons to be a fan of Grub. I know that Grub supposedly does a lot of really cool fancy things. I'm never happy with the Grub tool set myself. I've I've installed it. I've used it. I've tried to update it in vain. I don't feel like it ever does exactly what I want it to do, and I feel like Grub continually grabs control over what Shows up in my bootloader away from me, and I don't like that. And once again, it puzzles me when people who who hate things like System D can't deal with, or can are perfectly happy to deal with Grub. You know, of all things, it's like the the, the very first thing that that appears on your computer that gives you control over what you boot into. You have no direct interaction with, and you're okay with that. Now one thing I do like is that you can edit uh, selections, or you can edit things in Grub dynamically, or you can go to a command-line type thing on Grub. That I do like. That's a a killer feature. But other than that, honestly, Lilo or eLilo for EFI-based systems, is so much, so refreshing. So much better so that's that 's a huge bonus huge feature that i 'm i 'm a big fan of number fifteen slackware is self driven you can design your own experience. this kind of goes along with what I was saying in number thirteen being all purpose but but it 's more granular this Slackware in every sense, it, it gives you, like I said earlier in number six, uh, it gives you the vanilla packages from upstream. So exactly what you're installing is exactly what you think you're installing. There's no difference between the package as it appears in Slackware's repository of whatever, you know, whether it's Slack builds or, or Slackware itself, and what you would have gotten if you'd just gone out and gotten the thing yourself. And that's the thing. That's the concept, right? It's it's distributing these things in a one easy downloadable package for you, or ISO as it as it turns out. But from there, because it's vanilla, you get to make of it what you will, which is exactly what I want out of Linux, right? Or or Unix broadly speaking. That's why I'm here, because I feel like I know better than any given. Operating system designer out there, I know what I want more than anyone else knows what I want, and so I should be able to design my own experience. If if I want if I want to write a custom script to do a bunch of things at startup, then I then I should have that freedom. I should be able to do that, and it should work. If I want to if I want to use Enlightenment as my desktop, and and every time I unzip something, I want to type in the seven z space x space percent f, then that's that's I want that that, that to happen correctly. I I want that to work. And for the record, I've tried that on a diff- different distribution and it did not work. Probably some kind of enlightenment versioning thing. But anyway, so yeah, I want to be able to design my experience. That's part of my expectation when I come to Linux. And Slackware enables that because it's all, it's all pure and vanilla and plain and upstream. Uh, upstream, and I can... I I can do whatever I want on my system and I don't want to have to I don't want to have to worry about what somebody else somewhere up there there in the pipeline before me has done that might interfere with what I ultimately want to do. Number 16, slow to update but never too slow. I have found that Slackware in general, uh, as I've said before, they they don't update often, but they seem to have a really good grasp on when things really need to update. I I think it's probably difficult to program, you know, like if you tried to write it out, it would be difficult to write it down. But I think if you look at it a little bit fuzzy, and and if you're okay with some amorphism there, I think you can look at just sort of the, you can take the temperature, as it were, or the pulse of, of desktop Linux, and at some point, you feel, okay, everything has shifted pretty far into the future now, so now's the time we need to update. And that's what Slackware seems to be able to do just sort of naturally. It seems to have a really good grasp on, all right, enough stuff is different now. We should, we should actually update, whether that's an update to a package or whether it's a complete system up upgrade, like we need to release a new Slackware version now. They, they have a really good, they have great timing for that, I have found. I, they've never let me down, not once. Uh, every, every single time, you know, and, it, and it's a little bit difficult, especially in the Linux community, where there's a lot of hype around updates, you know, like, oh, a new version of such and such is out. Oh, yeah, have you tried it yet? You know, and you're, you're like, I haven't really tried it yet, to be honest. That that can be a little bit, you know, it, it, it tugs you toward, it tempts you for sure. But when you really sit down and think about it, you know, if you if you sit down with a good cup of coffee and really have a look at your life, you realize, okay, whether I have tried KDE five or not is not really that important. What's important is that when I sit down at my computer, whether I am in a rush and need to publish something really quickly and and or or export a, a big thing, a, a big doc book thing out to to EPUB and PDF or or whether I'm just sitting down and I want to create some, I want to make some music and I just want to sit down and just fire up Jack and fire up some synths and just noodle around for a while. You know, whatever the mood and whatever the urgency is, my system still had better just work. And if it fails, it's gonna spoil whatever mood and urgency may be there. Whether that's, oh, I'm just chilling and making some music mood, or whether it's, oh my gosh, I have five minutes to get this stuff converted and up online. I need to do it very quickly. And if anything snags, then it all falls apart. And on Slackware, that's the important thing. Keep that in mind, and you're gonna be a happy computerist for years. Number 17, Slackware doesn't force things on you. This is huge. Slackware doesn't care how you manage your system, honestly. You never have to use Slack package. You never have to use install PKG. You can do whatever you want to on Slackware. There's no enforced workflow. There's no enforced subsystem. It is exactly a Linux distribution that you have installed on your computer. And when I say it doesn't force stuff on you, I mean it doesn't force stuff on you. Do you not like the init system of Slackware? You can update it. See Season 10 for how to do that. Do you not like the package manager of Slackware? You can install something different on it. See my episode on Package Source for information on how to do that. There are so many tools in Slackware that are available to you, and they're all completely optional. Well, okay, some of them are required because when you install the system, there has to be some, you know, certain things are sort of, are, are enforced, right? So if you don't like the Linux kernel, it, it will, it will, it would be very difficult to swap that out with a different kernel on Slackware. If you don't like, um, I don't know, a certain set of tools, it would be difficult, admittedly. But beyond that base level system, everything is optional on Slackware, which means that you you're, you can build your own system with the convenience of already having a system, which is a little bit different from something like Linux from scratch, for instance, where you, you can build your own system, but there's no system yet. So Slackware, t- for me, is is kind of, I don't know, sl- so Linux from scratch, you know, you know, how there's Linux from scratch, and then there's Linux from scratch and beyond. This is like Linux from scratch twice removed. It's still really manual, though. You can really get in there and mess around with stuff. It doesn't force stuff on you you can you can make everything optional you can swap out any tool that you want for anything else number 18 no obnoxious overbranding, no sense of self this kind of goes along with how it doesn't force stuff on you you know how there's this trend and i get it because i i was very much a I was i was i was along for the ride on this but there was this trend for a while where an os was a thing right i like you didn't just involve a you didn't just install an OS. You installed a lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like if you were if you installed Ubuntu, you didn't just install Ubuntu. You installed the color orange. And you installed the little person logo, the little three person logo. And you installed Linux for humans, you know? So you installed humanity, you know, and it was like this thing, and it was this brand. And and Fedora, you didn't just install Fedora, you installed the the cutting edge. You you, you you got a a free knife with fedora and you you could just cut everything up and make everything look new and exciting and and yeah, lots of things you know and it, and there's this conflation of of a of a brand with with its user community and and coming certainly coming from a mac world as i did i mean I was a poster child for that, right? I mean, a brand being being your identity? I mean, Mac has made its business on that, right? I mean, not only were you a Mac user, you were a, a rebel. You were a, a person who was thinking outside of a box apparently you know there was like there there were these really kind of social there was a mythos to to these things and and, and I, th- I i think that there still very much is in some in some places but slackware as as i guess proud of slackware as its users are there's really not a sense of an agenda in slackware i mean it has its mission statement of let's be the most unix like of linuxes but even that it doesn't necessarily I mean, if you take that to its extreme, you would you would basically not be a Linux, right? You would just be Unix. Like, you'd be a BSD or something. So, I mean, even that, it doesn't take completely to heart. And and I don't feel like there's any kind of communal, like, okay, let's all become activists for this sort of imaginary cause that we feel like maybe we're a part of. Yeah, none of that. There There is no brand here. I mean, there is a brand. It's Slackware, and it's got a little logo, sort of and that's great but there it's not really and maybe i'm just not who knows maybe i've just evolved as a person and i'm just not aware of it but i i don't get the sense that people are are expected to be rabidly slackware users or or anything like that it's just it it just happens to be slackware and it happens to be very unix like and it happens to be a very good system that that we happen to like a lot but that's it there's there's no revolution happening here you know Revolution, as branded by the Beatles or whatever you know it's not it isn't like that as far as I can tell. Maybe it was at one point, maybe that's been an evolution in slackware, maybe as they have fallen from sort of like the top ranking of distro watch or whatever, maybe that's something that has has been sort of sort of purged out of it you know for better or for worse i don't know but i'm just saying to in, in my perception i don't feel oppressed by, by any kind of by by okay this is our brand and this is what we stand for and if you do not comply then you are not on the inner circle of the community and, and things like that. It, it's very much just a bunch of people who happen to be using the same distribution of Linux. And w- when we interact, at least in my experience, again, this is all very centered on, on what I've seen and done, but in my experience, when we interact, it's about the distribution and whether it is working to its optimal uh, level or not. And that's refreshing, especially in the computing world, where ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever you call it, that that's what we want, right? We want the... the com- if you're into computers, like, your main concern... At the end of the day, is the computer, right? That's why we're all here, supposedly, because we, we like these computing devices. So let's just talk about computing and not really make it so much about the, the rest of of life. It's just a computer. I, that, I find that refreshing. Number 19, you can follow current. So speaking of a community and a brand and everything, uh, th- there is a, an active community in Slackware, and part of that community hovers around Dash Current. So Slackware Dash Current is is the stuff that Pat and the rest of the, the Slackware team are working on as you know up to the next release. Uh, some people like to call it a rolling release version of Slackware, which it is not really, but but that it's got that sense because it's getting all the cutting edge updates, which are often not actually all that cutting edge, but but it, compared to stable it is. So it's it's the one getting all the updates on a on a very regular basis, and people like to follow that, and they like to find bugs, and they like to fix bugs, and they like to tell the Slackware team about those bugs and get them fixed, and get their little name in the changelog. I got my name in the changelog once, um, and and yeah, it's cool. It's it's a great um, for something good too. It was like something like a compile option or something, because I was like, hey, uh, could we have this package compiled with a dash you know mo option or whatever? I don't remember what it was. And, and I got a mention in the changelog board. It was pretty fun. Uh, yeah, so that's what I'm saying, is that current enables you to follow along with development. Uh, a lot of people kind of call Slackware a, a dictator-led distribution. It's not very democratic or whatever. Um, and that's fine. I'm not really into democracy, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm a lot more into... Anarchy and in the theory of anarchy, uh, there there's nothing against a there, there's there's nothing against the idea of leadership. There's something against authority, but there's nothing against leadership. And when leadership has been agreed upon and has been that that task has been handed to someone, then they can they can lead a project. And I I quite like that because it it has an effect on that project. And and I think a lot of people think that Pat Vulkerting is is sort of this this authority in Slackware who, who has Slackware and, and and just does whatever he wants with it. And that's just not true. If you look at the actual development model, if you look at what's actually happening, it's a very interactive process. And Pat is very responsive. And no, he doesn't always do what someone wants him to do, for instance. I mean, there's there's not there's not this obligation of well we're a community and we get to decide what you do yeah you know I mean and I don't feel like even in communities where that is ostensibly the mandate I don't know that that always actually happens you know at some point someone at the top of a pyramid however structured or illusory that pyramid may be has to make a call it has to come down to something and. I haven't really seen a, a software project where there's literally a voting process, like a one for one voting process. There may, it may be out there. I i have not seen it. And Slackware is not one of those things. You don't get to vote on something, but you get to express your opinion. You get to say what you think would be best. And and it may or may not happen. It may or may not be vital for you, for you to continue using Slackware if it if it doesn't happen, you know, that might that might affect your ability to continue to use Slackware. Or it might be something where you just decide, okay, well, I'll just make my own packages and make my sort of version, unquote, quote, unquote, of Slackware. And more on that in a minute. Number 20, a singular vision. This is exactly what I was saying about a, a chosen leader. Uh, someone who 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 the community says, yes, we are fine with you being the person who, who sets the, the pace and direction for this project. I think that if if Pat Volkerding were a silent, stoic person who never communicated with any of the community... And who never took anything into account, I, I think I would probably have a very, very different opinion of of him, and probably of Slackware, because it would be a different experience. But in practice, if you go to LinuxQuestions.org to the Slackware forum, that's the official Slackware forum. If you go there, you you will interact with lots of the Slackware team. Don't have the illusion that they're going to be super like like you're. They're going to be your best friend and and like chat with you. Like I said previously in the in in my uh, number eighteen. Point about we're really here for the computing part. Uh, I get the sense that most uh, that many Slackware users are here for the computing part. You know, like all the other stuff, it doesn't really seem to enter the equation. And when it does it, I think that it tends, at least for me, it feels out of play. Like if we're talking about uh, feelings and talking about impressions that we've had about a certain package version numbering or something and how that made us feel or something, I don't know. That doesn't tend to really work its way into the commu- into the conversation. It, it tends to be like... What's the output of this command? Does it match the expected output? If not, there may be a problem. Oh, no, that's not a problem. That's expected, according to upstream. Well, I disagree. I think that's stupid. I think we should fix it. Yeah, but we don't fix stuff. Okay, well, I think I'm going to go make my own package now. And, you know, I mean, or, yes, you're right. That is a problem. Let's let's fix that and replace it and then push it back upstream. Something like that. Happens in, in lots of different ways, but it, it's definitely an interactive process as long as you want to be interactive with it. Now, if you don't want to be, that's fine, but then then that's no different than any other distribution as, anyway. So there's there's a singular vision, there's community involvement, and then there's the freedom to do whatever you want because it's open source. And that's a model that I really, really like. Number 21, did I mention stability? So I want to talk about stability in another way now because I already talked about the stability of the packages. I've I've kind of talked about the stability of a SANE update policy, but I also want to talk about the stability that comes with a a SANE extras repository or or a, a you know the, the unofficial official official unofficial repositories out there. So there there's Slack builds and that's great because you get a Slack build, you get a little build script and then you go download the source and you run the script in the same directory as the source exists. A couple minutes later you've got a package that you can now install. Install PK super simple and slack builds tends to have a pretty pretty stable and reasonable update policy as well that's a little bit more variable because you do that is a purely community run environment so you don't have the singular vision of slackware itself of the base system this is where the community really can get involved because it's just anybody who wants to maintain a package can maintain a package and if that means that they want to follow every single update that comes out for that package then they're able to do so does that bug me it actually does it bugs me a little bit that said the control is still within it is still entirely in your hands as ultimately the packager for your own distribution so if you see that someone has updated i don't know maria db and you know that you have some very important stuff running on maria db and can't imagine updating maria db with something so important, without testing it yourself, that's fine. the 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 build script is right there. Just change the version if you want, or really just don't update, right? But I mean, if you wanted to, for instance, if you wanted a, a later, an earlier version, and and all you can find today is a later version, again, just change the version number, or or go back in time in in the in the package uh, Git repository and and grab the build script for the version that you want. It, it's pretty darn simple. I mean, it's it's not a drop-down menu, but it's it's stuff that you can do if if you want to override some of the decisions that individual maintainers make. And it's all very very transparent. It's it's all there on the website. You can get to everywhere you need to go from Slack builds. But Slack builds isn't the only one. But I do want to talk about the tendency of maintainers in Slackware to respect the the stability, the, the policy of stability first. And I feel like that's a really important thing because not all distributions, as I've said, do that. And some of them don't do it because they don't want to. It is it's a it is a, a very deliberate kind of choice. And others, I feel maybe they don't do it just because... Like, they don't keep stable just because they have a a sense that, oh, well, the, the latest version's out. We have to update to that now. And there's really no QA process. And And still others, I feel, stay out of date almost obstinately, and I'm kind of looking at Debian at that here, because because Debian is, I mean, it is kind of famously out of date, right? I mean, that's what everyone says about Debian. It's glacially slow. And a lot of people say, hey, that's great. I want slow. I want stable. But I mean, there's for me, there's this weird kind of gray area between stable and horrendously, uselessly out of date there's that weird sort of gray area there, and I, I feel for me Slackware hits that gray area, and that that may not be true for everyone. This might be one of the most maybe the most personal select. I don't know. All of these are personal bullet points, but but it's just kind of for me it happens to hit the right balance between yeah let's update now and okay this is really out of date we need to fix it and somehow I I I think that it just kind of averages out that way, and and I can see that not working for everyone because maybe your it just happens that that what you do with your computers is something different you know it's it's something that that really needs more updates or maybe it needs fewer updates and, and so maybe that's maybe that's something that's uh that it, you know maybe the pacing for you is happens to not be right although i would still argue that probably if if you're getting you know certainly i'm because I'm, I'm just talking about like the, the the independent repositories now um I, I feel Slackware has it pretty much down to a science, but but the independent repositories are a little bit touch and go, depending on who you're who you who who's maintaining that build script. So even in that case, if if their cadence isn't quite right for you, I would I would say, well, just grab your own copies of the Slack builds and maintain your own versions because the, the builds tend to not change, uh themselves. Usually it's pretty straightforward unless there's some weird big patch that they had to do in order to get it to compile at all uh typically the builds themselves don't change it's just version bumps version bumps maybe a couple of you know oh this document this documentation thing wasn't there yet you know in the previous version and they added it on this one or it was there on the previous one and it went away it got merged into another one on this one so maybe you have to change a couple of lines in like the in in some of the files that get copied over or whatever But generally, it's pretty simple to just maintain it yourself. 22, all of the extras. There are lots of extras in Slackware. A lot of people don't realize this. But number one on the DVD ISO that you download, there is literally a folder called Extras, and in that Extras folder there are Slack builds for, for popular uh, programs that, for whatever reason, Slackware could not or, or just did not ship with. So, for instance, Java. Java's a big one. If if you want to install Java from Oracle, you can find an installer script on the Slackware ISO. It, it doesn't include the source code, because no one... It's weird. You can't distribute Java source code or something. You have to go agree to Oracle's thing. I mean, honestly, just install OpenJDK. But let's say for for some reason you needed the oracle version because there are some use cases where where it just won't work without oracle because of one reason or another so if you um if you need that you can just grab that script go download the java source code from Oracle, agree to their terms, and then run the build script. Uh, if you need Google Chrome, there's a build script for that. And again, it's something that you'll have to go manually download yourself, and, and it'll convert it from a .dev, I think, to a .tgz, and now you've got Chrome on your computer. And so there are lots of little things like that, and not just the weird ones like Chrome and Java. There's, like, BitTorrent clients and, and just random things that, you know, for one reason or another, didn't didn't make it into, like, the main distribution of Slackware, but they're right there on the disk for you to use to repurpose in addition to that there are you know i think a lot of times i talk about slack builds a lot uh because that's that's i maintain packages there and it's the one that i use probably the most frequently but but there are others there are other repositories out there that exist that people you know people who are quite trusted within the slackware community have have built and you can go get stuff from them and it's really quite easy and quite useful actually alien bob is probably one of the 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 the, the names that come immediately to mind because of uh because of the some of the packages that he maintains he has a vlc build super easy to install he's got a handbrake build that's easy to install remember handbrake when that was actually an important thing um and kde uh he 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 keeps a pretty current, he keeps in line with, with KDE quite a lot. Oh, and multilib. lib he, he does multi-lib stuff for uh, if you're running a 64 system, 64-bit system. He has a bunch of multi-build stuff that you can install, like libraries and a compiler, so that you can also run 32-bit stuff on your 64 system, because Slackware 64 is pure 64-bit. So, the extras are, are just are fantastic, and, and it, it, team, it, it seems to be pretty tame. Now, I'm sure if, if Slackware was like the number one Linux distribution in the world, the extras thing would probably be a problem because you'd have all kinds of people building extra packages for Slackware, and there would probably be no way to ensure that they're at all secure and so on. Um, but in its current state, that's not really an issue right now i don't think because you tend to kind of know the people who you're getting stuff from and and i realize that that doesn't necessarily scale and there you know if it was bigger there would probably have to be some better way to manage that i imagine but for now uh, in the current state of things, it is quite nice to have all these little extra repositories here and there where you can kind of latch on to them and and get, you know, one thing or another in a very easy-to-download and easy-to-install way. Number 23, the basis for Slacker Media. You may not know it, you may not care, but I maintain a what I used to call a distro from text, meaning that it was what I thought of as a distribution, like Ubuntu Studio, for instance, but instead of giving you certainly an installer, an ISO, or certainly even packages, like Ubuntu Studio does now, I just provide documentation on how to make a thing happen. And this, in many ways, is how I think distributions ought to be done in the first place. I really don't love the idea of distributions. I mean, I do. They're exciting, they're cool, they're creative. You know, there are lots of things to love about distributions, but in terms of practical, actual application of of how to distribute different models of software i think distribution is is really one of the worst ways ever invented i think it's a it's a very inefficient way to make things happen on a computer. Uh, you know, if you, if you say, okay, I like Linux, I'm, I'm using Linux, but what I would really like is this desktop, only to find that that desktop only exists on this distribution. Uh, that's not great. So Slacker Media doesn't do that. It, it builds itself upon Slackware and tells you how to install Slackware and what other applications you need to install and how they work together and how each of the applications work at all in order to produce some desired result. And it seems to Work out pretty well for me. I've just, I've I've built Slacker Media systems for several different artists and had them successfully use them to production for for months at a time without ever having to call me for 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 um you know for a, a breakdown. Like I mean, maybe they need uh, to. Maybe they'll contact me about support for something else. Like, hey, how do I get rid of that annoying border around my layers in GIMP again? I forget. You know, something like that. Something that they could have just as easily searched on the internet or whatever. But because I'm there and can answer, I do. But but it's been pretty successful. I'm pretty happy with it. And that's, I think, probably one of the reasons why I support Slackware the way I do, because they support me so thoroughly and effectively in my efforts to build Linux systems that handle multimedia better than any other system. And and I, I sincerely believe that I've done that on, on Slackware. And then finally, number 24, if you learn Slackware, you learn Linux. This is a classic one. People say this all the time. They say, if you learn Slackware, you learn... If you learn, you know... Ubuntu, you learn Ubuntu. If you learn uh, Mandrake, I was about to say. Mandrake, you learn Mandrake. Um, Or, you know, Magia. Uh, But if you learn Slackware, you learn Linux. And I think this this is really just another version of Slackware as Unix, right? This, or Slackware is as Unix as a Linux can be. And it's that's that's all we're really saying, I guess. But more broadly, I think because Slackware uses those vanilla upstream packages, because it doesn't insert weird, um, well, when you installed Apache, you really meant to also start Apache kinds of things, or, or they don't have a bunch of cron jobs that are running that you're not even aware of until you try to run something that conflicts with another thing and now nothing's happening, or, or whatever. I don't know, I made that last one up. But but it's, it's, it is exactly what it says on the tin every single time, I mean, in terms of Slackware itself and everything that Slackware delivers to you. And sometimes that can be a little bit painful. Not super painful, a little bit painful. For instance, let's say I want to install... Um, vagrant. Do I have to start do I have to do I have to myself make a group for this vagrant thing and a, a user for it to run as? Or maybe Nginx. vagrant. I don't know why I chose vagrant. Nginx. Do I have to do that manually? Or will my install script just do that for me? No, I have to do that manually. Is that the most efficient way to do things? Well it is and it isn't, right? Because what if you didn't know that group three one three is the one that your distribution wanted Nginx to be. So you made a group 313 for something else, and now your distribution doesn't know what to do or whatever. So it is efficient if you're managing your own system, and that's what Slackware assumes, is that you're you're, you're taking care of your own computer. And I think that there's, there's a lot to be said for that. And I know that there's an argument for, well, I shouldn't have to take care of my own computer. That's what the distribution's for. I want it to manage everything for me. I get that, and and it's possible, you know. We see it. I mean, other OSs kind of they make it happen, right? Like no matter what, it's going to happen on. Well, not necessarily that, but that's what they're going to sell. That's what they're going to market, right? Is that it just works no matter what? They'll take care of everything. But I just feel like on Linux, where creativity and self sufficiency is encouraged, and you are empowered to 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 be that way, I think that's that's significant. I, I I want my installers to not bother me, to not try to do stuff for me. Just tell me what I need to do. I can do it. I'm capable of doing that. But don't don't get into my my workspace and move stuff around on me. So giving the user the ability to learn and use their computer results in users who know Unix. Or who know Linux because they've investigated the tools. They know what's installed on their system. They know how to use these tools. And when something goes wrong, they know how to fix the thing that went wrong. I think that's the real takeaway here because I don't care how well you market it or how well how well you how, how effective your sales team has been. No computer system is flawless. And when it fails, is your, is your user base empowered to fix their own system? And if they're not, you should be taking notes from Slackware. Hey, and that's it. That's my my list that's 25 reasons for each year that you should be using slackware so go to slackware.com check it out see if you like it and then if you like it go to slackermedia.info to learn how to use it a lot of it's obviously very multimedia centric but there's a lot of just general slackware information on there so give it a go Thanks for listening to GNU World Order. My name is Klaatu. That is spelled K L A A T U. You can reach me by email, Klaatu at member.fsf, as in freesoftwarefoundation.org. You can also find me on IRC, on the irc.freenode.net network, as not Klatu. I'm usually in channels like Slacker Media. And Augcast Planet, or you can direct message me. I have no problem with that. Finally, you can contact me on Mastodon. I'm on mastodon.xyz/at/notclatu. play with lasers, holograms, Go <laughs> see the computing facilities at all the different universities, but especially play with a UNIX command line at the age of like six or seven.